Hey, hello, everybody. Welcome back to part five with guest Captain Randy Kramer, learning about your non-humanoid galactic neighbors. Captain Randy Kramer, super soldier for the U.S. Marine Corps, special sections is back. And he, as most of you know by now, has been on the intergalactic space station conversing peacefully with non-humanoid extraterrestrials as well as on Mars. Today, Randy is here to share his experiences, expertise, and knowledge of insectoids, antids, tree frogs, cephalopods, avians, aquatics, raptors, reptilians, centipedes, etc. So welcome back, Randy. Oh, thanks for having me. Excuse me. Thanks for having me, Marley. No problem. It's fun to have you always. So how about we do this for a general plan, if this works for you, that I will name, for instance, a different humanoid species, and but for each one, I'll remind you and have you give six specifics briefly about each one. For instance, the classic things most people like to know, like how they look, their speech, their greatest ability or expertise, their longevity, et cetera, et cetera. Does that work for you? Uh, Probably. Okay. (laughs) We'll just flow with it and see, okay? Yeah, probably. (laughs) Okay. So um, let's start with the – well, I think first I understand, if I remember correctly, that there are two species that have worked with the Marines. So could you describe the ones, I think they're referred to as the brawn ones or the children of light. Would you tell people about that? Um, I mean, they're very old. They're very smart. Um, they tend to be pretty short, like under four feet tall. Uh, the heads are kind of boxy, pretty big eyes. The reason they're called bronze is because the kind of their skin color is sort of bronzy color. Um, kind of like like a real deep metallic bronze, not like a bronze, you know, tan person, uh, but like a fairly deep metallic kind of bronze sheen to their skin color. Um, super smart. They live millions of years, like an individual um, person of their species will live for millions of years. Um, so they have a pretty long-term view of things. Uh Tinkerers in the sense of uh, those that like to tinker with genetics to improve species. Um, Yeah, they're pretty cool. I like them. Ooh, they sound neat. Now, did they first contact uh, you, the Marines, and what was the purpose for that? What was their agenda? Um, pretty, I'm not exactly sure who talked to who first, but, um, yeah, their people started talking to our people at some point, and um, their their prime suggestion to us was to um, spend some time focusing on psionic development and hive mind psionics. So we took that advice and decided to do that, which I think has been to our benefit and everyone's benefit in the long term. So could you describe what you mean by hive mind? Uh how do I how do you describe a hive mind? Hive mind, um, I think the best way that I can describe it is if one were to perceive themselves mentally in their own mental space, 
but we're also able to perceive on the very perimeter of that mental space other members of the hive mind um, and be able to connect with those minds and those experiences, memories, thoughts, etc., and access that information as collective mind, not as singular mind. Mm, interesting. Now, did that start the Marines? And, of course, you were teaching a psionic class, which uh, you can uh, – we'll introduce again. Um, did that start you and the Marines uh, to move forward on psionic training, brainwave ability? I would have been before my time as far as before I was born, uh, but my understanding is, yeah, they took the advice and began a very serious psionic training development program. Mm, neat. Okay. So now I assume this means you still keep your individuality because, you know, people have watched so many oh, yeah. movies. No, no, no. They're, people, not, they're not yeah, thinking like no. absorbed in the hive mind, you know? Yeah, people, yeah, fic- fictional, like science fiction hive minds aren't how hive minds work. So even when I remember communicating with insectoids as part of an insectoid hive mind, they still have individuality. They just, I mean, and I guess in the sense that um, something really, really basic, like two different insects in the same hive might have a different flavor that's their favorite or a color that's their favorite. But the the main sort of distinction is twofold, the ability to access collective information and to act in collective interests, which also means the inability to act against collective interests. So uh, a member of a hive mind would never do anything against the hive, would never act against the hive, would never threaten the hive, would never threaten anyone else within the hive, um, and would never betray the hive, that those things would simply not even be possible or ever happen because of hive mind consciousness. Fascinating and great description. So you're you're saying as a species, they came in and encouraged us to focus perhaps a little bit more on collective well-being. Would you say that? I'm pretty sure they made it pretty clear that if anyone had the designs of wanting to be a type one civilization, that was going to be a requirement. Okay, and folks, type 1 is one of several types that is, I believe, the first stage where we move into more advanced. And we're not even quite there yet, are we? Oh, we're not even close, no. Yeah. Okay. That was encouraging us to move forward. Thank you, Randy. And uh, was there a second species also that the Marines worked with? Or was the Bronze Um, the primary one? I mean, certainly we have relationships with a number of species, but um, I would I would say as far as uh, main technological development, psionic development, you know, sort of the lead ET species on that has always been uh, the bronze ones. Okay. But All I, right. I mean, yeah, we we deal with a lot of different species, but yeah, I'm not I can't think of one other in particular species that that would be. That, that would be okay fair enough okay so why don't we start with the insectoids um antids that you met and dealt with and um so and um you know kind of just as a reminder how they look their speech their greatest ability or skill set lifespan and then i'll remind you of a few more things um 
like indigenous insectoids uh, from Mars, which are probably the ones that I have the most experience with. Uh, yeah, they basically, to me, look like a tall ant, uh, maybe about five, five and a half feet tall. Um, they they have ability to make a speech, but they don't really use speech. They're telepathic, so they don't really talk to each other, but they can make a, a sounds uh you know, sort of out of their breathing apparatus, but it's not really speech. And it's definitely not really how they talk. Um, they're probably their main strength is genetic engineering. Uh, more often than not, they will genetically engineer a another insect of some type to do the job of whatever tool or machine that they might otherwise be thinking of doing. That's sort of their main deal. Um, um, I, mean, I, I don't know. I would well, say that their exoskeletons were kind of a dark, dark, dark brown, not really black, but like a dark, dark, dark brown, a deep brown. Okay. Oh, and you had a funny story about how they view us around the exoskeleton thing. Oh, yeah. They think it's pretty gross that we wear our insides on our outsides. So for an insect, their exoskeleton is on the outside, and all their in, all their squishy bits are on the inside. We have our skeleton on the inside, and we're all squishy bits on the outside. They think that's very bizarre, and they think it's kind of gross. <laughs> oh, so, so they're probably more comfortable with you when you're in your armor, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Way more comfortable when you're wearing a uh, suit of armor. That seems way more natural to them. They're like, oh, you wore your exoskeleton today. So, yeah. Uh-huh. Which they are. Body, arm, body armor is quite literally an exoskeleton. So it's, it's not wrong for them to think of it that way, that we wear an exoskeleton when we go out into battle and so forth, because we do. That's absolutely correct. And so they were more relatable that way to them. In terms yeah, of yeah, and again, it, it doesn't gross them doesn't gross them out as much to see our squishy bits <laughs> on the outside. So, <laughs> and their longevity is what about? Uh, I mean, that's hard to say. I don't know how long a drone lives, but they recycle. So, uh, death isn't mm-hmm. really death for them. They're hive mind. So, a drone dies. It's just going to get hatched out again later. I'm not exactly sure what their process for memory, rememory for some cases is, if it's for everybody or just certain drones or how that works. I'm honestly not sure, but they basically recycle. So I'm, I'm not sure what their lifespan art is. And I have no idea what the lifespan of a, of a king or a queen would be, but I imagine it's a very, very long time. I would say and probably aren't... it's got to be thousands of years, but I don't know. Yeah, and and um, didn't I hear you mention a long time ago the queen is huge? Like um, I don't know. I, mean, I never got to. I've I've never got to meet one. Um, and the indigenous okay. reptor- I'm sorry, the indigenous insectoids on Mars are not uh, matriarchal; they're patriarchal. So they actually have a king. Oh. Um, they are pretty big, from what I understand. But I never, I didn't get to see it. I didn't get to meet the king. I, I had an anxiety attack and had to go stand outside. So. Oh, well, that's honest. Well, I know some. Uh, some well, there was a big be- old giant centipede in the corner, curled up like a kitten. But they're about twenty feet long, and I tended to <laughs> not really like them. So, I it wasn't it wasn't threatening or anything. It was just like with you know less than six feet away from me, curled up sleeping, and I was just like, oh shit, I got to go outside and get some fresh air. 
Um, oh. So I didn't get to go meet the king, but that's okay. It was all right. You know, it's okay. I, I so is that. a centipede like a guard, and it was a centipede something that they engineer, or is it? Is it? Oh, the, the centipede, yeah, no, the centipedes they engineer, and they're mainly used for combat, and so you know they're big, and that you know mandibles a meter wide, and yeah, you know, they suck. Hmm. Yikes. Well, I can understand why you needed a little break from that then. Uh, yeah, for you know, sure. I, I did hear. I think it was from another augmented or super soldier um, where they were dealing with something. I, I can't remember if it was mantids or along the insectoid and uh, they there was a queen and she was purple in color I believe and they said she's like 20 feet long and 10 feet high so that's pretty big. That, <laughs> but that I don't know. Sounds I, like I'm about not right. that, yeah that sounds <laughs> about probably physically proportionately correct. Yeah, I mean it really depends on the species and I'm, I'm just not sure. Exactly. Now, would you be comfortable? This this story cracked me up, but more than that, it shows the um, your ethics and your the greater purpose that you were trying to also accomplish, rather than just protecting. It was the dare I think your first wife gave you. Your first wife wasn't ringing. She gave you a dare with the towards the antids, didn't she? You know what I'm talking about. You yeah, were walking so with we, yeah, we were on patrol. Yeah, we were on patrol, and they were outside, you know, just kind of standing around, uh, kind of like bringing boxes out and laying them out in the sun or something. And they they didn't seem to have much interest in what we were doing, and we weren't that far away. And I kind of was getting a little closer, and they still didn't care. And somehow I just thought, well, I don't know, maybe because there's so few of us, it's not we wouldn't be considered threatening. And I suggested to the squad, I was like, oh, maybe I should just walk up and say hi. And my first wife was like, oh, yeah, do that. I want to see you coming back here carrying your arm and your other arm, you know, screaming. She was like, oh, yeah, I, I want to see that because she was precious. Um, and so, yeah, anyway, so I did and basically introduced myself. And the insectoid who was standing there was introduced himself back. We had a little chat and anyway, arranged a meeting. Did you? Did you chat telepathically or, or yeah. what? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I I I walked up and waved and verbally, you know, said hello, but I wasn't sure what was going to happen. And, yeah, he responded telepathically, so they're, they're pretty mentally strong. That's, that's very brave of you, and it also shows yeah. that it seems like they're not so attacking as they're more defensive. Is that their strategy in general? Um. For them in particular, that's that's difficult to say. They they have a complex understanding of what's good for them and what's not good for them. So their ethics and their morality aren't based on the same things that ours are. Um, I wouldn't say that makes them bad I, at all. I would just say that it, it it means that if we presume in some way that they're thinking or judging or determining things. And the same reason that we would based on what we think is good or bad is probably not going to be the same decision-making process they would go through. So um, in my mm-hmm. experience, they, they, they tended to um, be situation responsive. So the more aggressive you want to be with them, the more aggressive they'll respond, the more sort of not aggressive you want to be, the more willing they might be to have a conversation. Um, but I don't, I don't understand them well enough to know all the things that they like, don't like, want, don't want, considered good or bad. But I would, I would just strongly suggest that people who think that other species, and some do, but to think that 
presumably that all of these other species think like we do, have the same value system we do, have the same morals or ethics that we do is just not correct. That's a good point. Now, what came out of your bravery of going up and starting a conversation, uh, a tele- telepathic connection? What came out of that? Um, some meetings between diplomats and the insectoids. So, you know, ended up being a good thing. Wow. So what, what, weren't your higher-ups or your command structure pretty surprised or or appreciative? Um, I mean, a little bit, but, you know, um, you know, it's whatever. I'm just doing my job. So it was, it was I winged it one day, and it happened to go right, and, you know, gay team. Yay. <laughs> and you won the bet. <laughs> uh, okay. Pretty much. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and the objects were, they were putting out in the sun or something, you said? They were setting stuff out? Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, I, I mean, I found out later that they were using the UV in the sun to sterilize instruments or something. So, anyway. Yeah, that's very clever. Yeah. Okay. And have you also uh, telepathized or met a mantid at any time, which to me are different than the antids? Um, I'm I'm not sure who exactly you mean by that. I mean, there really aren't too many other insectoid species that I've had conversations with in a casual uh, environment or in a field environment like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, people kind of use different terminology interchangeably too, as far as insectoids, mantids, antids, or whatever. And and I, those are terms people are going to have to get a little more clear on when exobiologists come along and straighten people out on that stuff. But, um, yeah, I, I haven't had too many other diplomatic conversations with insectoid species. Cool. Okay. Well, thank you for educating this. And are we in sure. active trade with, with the insectoids? Um, Do we tra- trade any items? My understanding, with them? yeah, my my understanding there is. I honestly am not sure what we're trading them for. What probably uh, we're probably trading them something in large quantities of minerals that would take them longer to to gather than we can provide them uh, to them in exchange for some technology or, excuse me, scientific development program, because that would be the most valuable thing from them was their genetic uh, engineering mastery. Yes. Okay, great. Fascinating. Okay, what about the tree frog? I I can't pronounce that species. You're going to have to tell me it, but the... Um, can you tell people a little bit about that? And the the Trogdebogdians. Yeah, that's, it's, a, it's a fun name, the Trogdebogdians. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, Bogdia is a star. Trogd is the name of the planet. So, yeah, they're the Trogdebogdians. It's, it's a fun name. Um, and they evolved from a tree frog species on a pretty big planet, like a, I want to say it's got to be over three and a half, four Gs or something like that. Um, in a red star system. So they evolved um, tree frogs, um, which I don't know, if you think about what a tree frog does, sits in one spot and it stares at things for long, long periods of time. So in some ways, they're kind of predisposed as a species to be really good meditators. Um, so they they advanced mentally and psionically pretty quickly because their tree frog genetics made it very easy for them to sit in one spot and stare off into space and go into you know altered consciousness states pretty easily. It was pretty easy for them. 
So they develop pretty quickly. Again, they're very old. They're of the only two species that I've ever spoken to that have this age and longevity are the bronze ones and the trogdobogdians, and they live millions of years. Um, the bogdians, the one that I talked to was very chatty, offered up a lot of more information than I ever was really asking for. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, just seemed real. I mean, just, just, I don't know how else to say. When I say chatty Kathy, I mean, just someone who was just really eager to answer my questions, provide information, say, oh, I mean, let me answer that for you and let me explain this to you. And was just very eager to explain, which I, I felt quite, you know, um, privileged and graced to be able to hear such information for sure. Uh, but yeah, anyway, he was very, 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 like, really deeply informative um, to the point. I mean, this was a completely telepathic conversation. He was providing massive quantities of information. He was talking about swaths of history that lasted millions of years. Um, and so I had a headache for no less than like, you know, three, four days afterwards. It was, it was definitely a strain on my cranium to have that much information pushed into my head in such a very short period of time. So yeah, I had a headache for about three days after that, but, they're fa- yeah, they're oh. fascinating, absolutely fascinating. They they have mastered the ability to build um, a Dyson sphere Dyson sphere ship. So it, for anyone who doesn't know, a Dyson sphere is a ship that has a star at the middle of it. So the the shell of the ship would be the diameter of the orbit of the planet Earth. So if you started building an exterior of a ship where we are now and built it all the way around the sun, contained the entire sun inside of it, so that the interior of it was essentially all in the Goldilocks zone and the sun is at the middle. So the entire inside of the Dyson sphere at that point becomes uh, habitable, a habitat. So you, if, for instance, we were to build a spaceship with this, our sun at the center of it that was at the position of orbit where the Earth is now, but more roundish instead of oblongish, um, we would have a surface, a livable surface, green grass, trees, livestock, fresh crops, etc., with the sun at the center of it that would probably easily, easily, easily habitate um, I mean, pr- probably more than uh, 200, 300, um, maybe even, you know, half a, more than half a trillion people. Woo! Wow. Yeah. It, it, I mean, a lot, I mean wow. comfortably, comfortably spread out with lots of space and elbow room between your neighbors, not packed in like sardines in any way, shape, or form. You know, that's, that's a very, everyone having a lot of personal, comfortable space, and you could still have a half a trillion people habitating the inside of that thing. So then imagine that the, the, the ship itself, the fuselage of the shelf is fairly thick. It has layers, which has compartments and places that are uh, massive amounts of, of physical space. It's not just your surface area, sort of libidable, habitable, you know, growable space. Um, including the ability to store, build machinery, tools, uh, use uh, magnifiers to magnify the power of the sun as a weapon so that the, uh, you can essentially have a cannon that fires from this Dyson sphere ship that's using the power of the sun and could pretty much vaporize an entire planet, you know, in about, you know, a couple seconds. Ooh. So how long does it take them to build this ship? You said they live millions of years old. 
Yeah, millions of years. And I, and, and I remember asking that question, and the answer was, oh, not long at all, only about 185,000 years. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So they're, they're obviously known for their brilliance and longevity then. And, mm-hmm. oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Now, are, they, are they as agile as the insectoids are? Because I know the antids uh, can use, like, very ambidextrous, can use, like, three or four hands at once or something. Are they like that? Too? Yeah. Um, wow. I'm sorry, who you were talking The The Bogdans? The Trogda Bogdans? Yeah. I mean, the they're. Bo- yeah. Like, well, so, so they're. So as a evolved tree frog species they're bipedal they stand on two legs they have two arms uh their fingers are kind of squishy they do have little suction cups on them they can grab stuff with them um but yeah they're 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 definitely very agile but their head is probably almost two-thirds of the size of their physical body their head is huge so they're 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 really, they look a little weird in that sense that you see this really big head and this really tiny body attached to it. And you're like, what is happening there? But um, they're, apparently that's sufficient for them. It works for them. The body motors them around and does what it needs to do. And, and the brain and the head part is more important, but that's, that's where they've evolved. Really big eyes, really, really big eyes. Mm. Like, I mean, I'd say, um, I mean, at least six inches in diameter, like six, seven inches in diameter per eye. They're really big. Whoa. But it, yeah, I they're re- how, yeah, really big. I, I love how gregarious they sound in a certain way. Yeah, at least yeah they're way, really you know? cool. I mean, they're really nice. I mean, well, when you kind of think about it, you know, tree frogs aren't predators. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, they don't really have predator genes. They don't really have predator instincts. Um, they mm-hmm. evolved in a way in which their ability to um, – evolve from predators in their own environment was something that they could sort of relatively easily do and they developed very quickly. So, um, yeah, they've, they've never really had to address, um, sort of naturally aggressive or naturally violent or sort of predatory instincts. That doesn't mean that they can't fight if they feel like there's a good reason to, but you know, that, yeah, they have very, uh, very calm, and very personable demeanor, for sure. Mm. Well, they don't need to fight if you own a, a, a moving planet, you know, bigger than planet ship that can destroy you immediately. It's like it's probably everyone so, I mean, kind of gives just, them some space. Put, yeah, I mean, to put that in perspective, that's, that's a ship that's as big as like a third of our entire solar system is the ship. <sighs> It's really oh big. It's really, 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 really big. Um, if, if there was a train that went around the edge of it, um, I don't know how many weeks or months it would take you to take that train. I mean, it would have to be some ridiculously fast train to get you from point A to point B. We're talking about that, that distances that are, uh, you know, if you wanted to go halfway around the inside of the sphere, that's the distance of, you know, traveling the the width of the planet Earth, you know, 50 times or 100 times to get from that corner to the next corner. It's that big. Um, I, I, you wouldn't be able to see from one end to the other. You wouldn't be able to see, you know, it would be so, the distances would be so far, you wouldn't be able to see the whole thing from the inside of it. Um, yeah, it would, it would have its own weather. It would have clouds. It would have rain. It would have lightning. It, yeah, it would have its own weather, sunshine, and 
breathable air, crops, animals, farms, cities, homes, everything, and anything and everything that you could possibly have in a, in a organic, livable environment. Wow. Well, so one of the most brilliant and advanced, obviously. What about definitely? They're they're very they're only only that I'm aware of a very 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 tiny number of species who have mastered this skill to build these ships this big. Very very few that I'm aware of. So yeah, if you can build one of those, you're kind of top dog. Hmm. Now we know from uh, zoology and stuff that cephalopods or octopus. Uh, uh, I don't know how if that's also octopuses cuttlefish. or octopi. Octopi oh. and cuttlefish. Okay. Any, we know anyone who doesn't know anything about cuttlefish. Smart. Yeah, anyone who doesn't know anything about cuttlefish can like you know pull up a video on cuttlefish. They're incredibly intelligent. They communicate through color, so they literally change the color on and and I mean like not like slowly. I mean they flash colors like rainbow light shows on their skin as they communicate with one another. It's, it's a pretty interesting thing. So they, they communicate, um, yeah, with, with literally the physical light that changes on their skin is a form of communication. They're, they're incredibly intelligent, um, super smart brains. They're super, super kind of old, uh, like sort of prehistoric kind of species almost, but they're, they're a really, what we know about cephalopods is they are wicked, wicked smart. Um, they're octopi that, you know, live in aquariums that find their way out of their habitat, yeah. crawl across the floor and, you know, almost escape mm-hmm. out the door. Um, you know, you can take a, a, you can put a fish in a jar, tighten up the jar super tight, hand it to an octopus, and the octopus will figure out how to open up that jar and get that fish out of it. Um, they're really, really smart. I, I watched uh, a fisherman uh, fishing boat that caught an octopus, and the guys on the fishing boat were trying to figure out how to pick it up or what to do with it. And the octopus found a hole where uh, a drain hole at the edge of the, uh, of the, wa- of the you know, side of the, the boat. Where, well, it wasn't that's not the hull. It, this part of the boat is on the deck, so uh, where there's essentially, um, I'm forgetting my navy terms, but there's when you have a, a, a it's okay. It's like it's, a little, it, it's like it, a little wall, but it's it's not a little wall anyway. And so there's a little tiny hole, and it's maybe four inches wide, and it's maybe two inches high. And this octopus is, you know. Um, you know, probably could stretch out six feet wide. Its head is probably, you know, nine or 10 inches in diameter. It squeezes an arm through that hole and then squeezes its whole body through that little tiny hole and escapes back out into the ocean. The whole squeezes its whole body through a hole that's like two inches by four inches. Yeah. So they they have no bones. So they, yeah, they can squeeze through, you know, a tiny little space. They can open up things. They can crawl out of stuff. And they live, you know, outside the water for really extended periods of time. Um, so even though they're an aquatic, you know, species, they can, they have been known to crawl out, you know, and survive for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours outside of the water. So they're, they're incredibly advanced just as a biological animal that we understand them. So species that are based on like cephalopod evolution, brilliantly smart, wicked, wicked smart. Like, did yeah. you have a trade Tentacles. agreement with one? Did you um, ever do a I trade? Mean, 
I, I mean, we were sitting down having a conversation uh, with some diplomats about a trade agreement. And, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it, it was um, definitely psionic telepathic communication, but they also have a communication scheme that happens with the changing of the color of their skin and so forth. So while we were communicating with them and while we were communicating psionically, you could still see, you know, them changing colors and so forth in a way in which was obviously related to what they were saying. So it had to do with the communication, but it's not like anyone was looking at the color changes going, oh, I totally understand what they're saying and color. Um, But you could see that it was communication and see how it was relevant to what was being said. Hmm. Now, is it kind of like the Arrival movie where they showed a octopus ET that was able to do kind of mathematical and symbols no, and communicate? No, so, it's, it's, so the, the, the uh, heptapods in uh, the Arrival were not cephalopods. Um, they're oh, heptapods. Okay. And, and heptapods, as they define them in the movie, are quite different and, and are not cephalopods. Uh, heptapods have six legs or uh, hmm. is it six or seven, I forget, six or seven legs, octopi, uh, cephalopods, you have eight. Um, and the hmm. uh, heptapods from the arrival had fur. They were furry. So they had, they had a mammalian trait to them as far as having external fur on them. But yeah, they had like big long legs that they were walking on. One of my favorite movies, by the way. Me too. I thought it was so underdone and and so beautiful. Don't they have like some ridiculous like uh, able to re- reason at warp speeds in their head or something? Aren't they really um, really bright? Or... They, they have. Yeah, I mean their their brains like, are. I, I I would say some of the most biologically developed brains you know um, that that I'm aware of or that we know of. So they yeah they have really, really quick thinking, fast thinking brains for sure. They're they're very, very brilliant. Very brilliant. Okay. And what were you uh what was the trade agreement discussing? What was the exchange? With the um, I mean it, it had something to do it's something to do with uh, minerals, uh something something that they had an excess of, something that we had an excess of that we were trying to negotiate a, a trade agreement on, something mineral related. I'm not sure exactly mm. what it was again. Okay. Avians. Bird you know, bird avian non humanoid. Um, you've come across um, them? Almost none at all. I mean, I, I've seen some in passing um, that seem to be kind of feathery, um, but not in any way that I would say was obviously bird-like or avian. So I, I've never, I've never seen a bird person or an avian person that seemed like it was um, like really a bird. I, I've seen uh, bipedal species who appear to have um, some feathering on their body, which makes me think that they're, you know, some sort of evolved avian species, but I've had very little contact with them. So it's definitely not my area. Okay. What did their heads look like? I was just curious. So they're they're Um, bipedal, but they have feathers. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say all over. Um, that's the other thing, you know, they're not completely feathery. They have feathers, but that doesn't mean that they're completely feathery. Kind of depends on how much clothing they have on or what they're showing and how much you can see. Um, it's not like they're completely covered with feathers. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. And 
I mean, how would I say? I mean, in fact, it was they looked pretty hybridized, to be honest with you, as far as what was happening with their facial features and what was happening with the feathers. I, I was releasing some kind of mammalian avian mix there, but I'm honestly not sure. They, they did not look like any kind of a pure avian or pure bird species. But that's okay. that's my guesstimation from what I that from what I was sense. looking at as a trained observer, not you know because I have any more familiarity yeah. with them than that. And what about you? Obviously, dealt with reptilians on mm-hmm. Mars. Yeah. What what would you what would you say about their top abilities, their longevity, you know, their skill set, their longevity, their speech, how they look, kind of thing. Oh, I. They probably would have to stand out as the most formidable psionic species, psionic warrior species of their stature, meaning of their height and size. Um, yeah, unquestionably, the, the most powerful, accomplished psionic warrior species of their stature that I've ever met. Okay. And on Mars, I'm not sure about it. lifespan. I, I, I'm not sure about lifespan other than I, I think we're talking at least a couple of few centuries, you know, per, per individual there, but I'm not entirely sure. We never talked about birthdays. Okay. And super warriors and um, the best. The best. Yeah. Are, were they pretty much the most intimidating ET species you've ever met? Nope. Not nope. the most intimidating, but. Um, not the most intimidating, um, maybe the most fierce. Um, the most intimidating um, were quite a bit taller than that. I mean, they were like 18, 19 feet tall. That's a little more intimidating, you know, when they're big. So. Whoa. Were those Dracos or some other? What, what was what no, that? No, no. Uh, just, you know, hillbilly losers that needed their teeth knocked out. <laughs> no. Okay, <laughs> but were they humanoid or, or what? Like, um, yeah, I mean, roughly. I mean, I mean, humanoid is is a, a tricky thing. I'd say that you know they're like a bipedal mammalian species. Um, I, I think probably fair to call them you know similar to sort of some kind of pre-Adamites or something like that. But they they were. Oh, okay. You know, let's just let's just, let's just say they they'd gotten off the track, you know, uh, for some time, and and they'd been living yeah. like you know hill hill folk for quite a while, and they just needed their teeth knocked out. But they were but they were intimidating because they were big. So they had yeah, big, I, they had I big bet. they had big swords and big clubs. So something eighteen feet mm. tall swings a big club or a big sword at you. It's it's intimidating. Whew. They're kind of more like giants, obviously, in a way, you know, the way you well, think of a giant. Well, okay, so the intergalactic average height is 16 feet. So an 18-footer would not be considered a giant. An 18-footer would consider to be slightly above average intergalactic height. We're kind of wee. We're a bit on the wee side. And so we're kind of <laughs> hobbit size. We're kind of hobbit size, really. Like in the intergalactic average, we're kind of <laughs> hobbit size. So, so we say mm-hmm. giants, but really, you know, that might just be average or slightly above average to us, you know, because mm-hmm. 16, 18 feet is is in the average zone for sure. But we're, yeah, we're we're on the wee uh, hobbity side. That is so cute. Okay. Yep. That makes sense because I had dreams of me at 18 feet, so that's pretty interesting, whatever that was yeah. about. Uh, um, somewhere else, yeah, probably. Yeah. What about, um, have you heard the term diamond spiders, where armor was 
made from they have they either have armor on them these huge spiders or made from diamond or something does that make any sense to you so we're, we're talking about an arachnid species not an arachnid yeah. animal okay an arachnid species that uses some kind of diamond armor or wears some kind of diamondy armor or something like that? Is that what you're trying yeah. to describe? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. I that like when you say that, I seem to vaguely have a photograph of something that looks like that in my brain. I'm not really sure what the context of it is, though. So I, whatever my interaction was, that it was must have been very casual. So I don't seem to have any any depth of knowledge about that, but I do seem to have a picture of that in my head somewhere. So um, I'd say I've seen that, but I, I'm not sure if that was actually I saw it in person or was just in an exobiology class. Could have been just an exobiology mm-hmm. class because it seems like it's a static image in my brain. So it, it doesn't seem to have any movement or dynamic motion to it. So I think it might have been an exobiology class. Sorry, terminal okay. exobiology class, which is how to kill stuff that's not human. Yeah. Well, I, uh, there were some Vietnamers, and there were some stories about Anger Wat being attacked by giant spiders at some point, too. Um, I don't know. So I, I, well, I, I will say this. Um, I had a chance to work with a Vietnam veteran personally who was having some um, issues retrieving some combat sort of um, PTSD memories. So uh, I assisted in the process of helping him walk through that. And he had a very, 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 very clear, vivid memory of being a part of an army unit who um, ascent, what seems to have happened is that someone disturbed their home, the spiders. They were not happy about it and um, came out and kind of, fierce numbers and it and i can't say this for a fact um i but i it seems from what i've been told that the entire vietnam conflict may have been a cover for this war with these fighters actually maybe the entire war may have been a cover for that yeah i've been told the same thing that in some relationship to gold too, like retrieving gold. Um, it, yeah, it's point. always about gold. It's always about gold. Gold is valuable, but um, I and I don't know about that in particular, and I and I can't say much more just because I haven't had an official conversation with anybody or asked for a briefing on it. But mm-hmm. from what he told, from what he told me, and then when I you know went to talk to Julian about it, my brigadier, and his response was. Yeah, it was. It, it it would. It ended up being a bigger deal than they wanted it to be, and and the and the military action and the cover up for it seemed to have mm-hmm. um, ex- extend far and wide. So anyway. Okay. Now, what about aquatics? There's so many different kinds. There's the mirror people. There's our cetaceans, whales and dolphins, some serious, I think, B that were ETs. But didn't you come mm-hmm. across at least one unusual? Something aquatic beyond that, or anything like that? Well, Did you have I mean, to communicate with? Well, I mean, certainly a, a few. Um, mostly, again, in like diplomatic negotiations, like the cephalopods. Um, yeah, most of the time I've spent out of the water, um, so okay. I, I can't think of off the top of my head if. I had a conversation about that before of what other like aquatic species. I mean, I've certainly 
had some experience with. Well, so it was kind of had a shark body, um, and it kind of had tentacle arms, and kind of a shark head, uh, and kind of floated upright, like the tail down at the like almost like a cartoon shark would, like with the tail down at the bottom or at the feet, and like upright with the head sort of facing towards you. It was kind of like that. Um, Yeah, I'm not really. I'm not really sure. No, I mean, it It was more like, um, to be honest, it probably, yeah, again, no more than probably between five and six feet in length. Well, you know, a little tricky to, to tell because it's floating there, but I'd say it was, you know, about my-ish, you know, a little shorter than me or maybe about my same height. Um, and definitely had the teeth, definitely had the mm. teeth. Um, that must and, have been a little again, weird. It was. <laughs> Um, it was, and and and, I, and again, the, the tentacles. To be honest, seemed like that could have been um, a genetic engineering addition that could have happened way earlier in their evolution when someone said, you know, these guys need something to m- manipulate stuff with. Let's give them some tentacles, um, and you know, replace a couple of flippers, with, you know, with tentacles or something. So the tentacles seemed a little out of place, but at the same time, didn't look like they were stitched on or something. I mean, it looked part of how they, you know, developed and grew and evolved. It just, I'd never seen anything like that on any kind of other fish uh, like that. So my guess, this is just really out of nowhere that there's some, you know, genetic engineering or again, some merging or hybridization of of species in there, uh, some mixing of genetics. Oh, of course. I don't know if people realize how common and how many species were, play with genetics and hybridization and everything out there. <laughs> let, let me let me put it this way: once a species understands genetics, um, they'd be stupid not to use them to advance themselves. So most species, once they figure it out, use them to advance themselves because again, they'd be stupid not to. Now, they don't always do it right. They're not always smart about the way they do it, but it would be absolutely the dumbest thing ever to not use that technology to develop and advance your own species faster. They don't like that. Don't always do it right, but it would be dumb not to. Yeah, I agree because there's just so many that I've studied that are just like always tinkering, always playing with that. And um, so what? do you remember what the shark species was trading or interested in at all when you uh, telepathized with it? Um, it wasn't a trade con a trade agreement discussion by my understanding. Mm-hmm. It was uh, what we call an initial contact. An initial mm-hmm. contact is more of a casual conversation about who their species are, what they do, what you know, what they like to do for fun, what they eat, what's important to them and you know, we sort of have the same. It's just it's a big get to know you conversation. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Well that's so neat. Uh what about raptors? which, of course, live in the Earth and also are space-bearing. Mm-hmm. Do you want to t- tell people a little bit about that? Yeah, they're a saurian species, S-A-U-R-I-A-N, like dinosaurian without the dino. Um, and they, my understanding, they're, they're very intelligent, um, pretty organized species, also uh, better than average warrior species. Um, my understanding is that if in the past um, non-raptors wandering into raptor territory could end up finding themselves on the menu, 
I am to understand perhaps that is no longer the case. Maybe someone high up in the chain of command has said no more eating people, and that's a pretty significant thing if that's true. I don't have a confirmation on that, but that seems pretty interesting and uh, would, would also go in line with progressive diplomatic conversations and relationships that we have with them. I got to meet one rap, really one raptor personally who was a judge, um, and I had to sign a bunch of stuff, and he asked me some questions, and I had to, you know, raise my right hand and swear some stuff in front of him, and then he signed off and stamped something for me. Um, so that's really my only personal interaction was with this Raptor judge. Now, with this Raptor, I will say, this, I, 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 will uh-huh. say I, want, I want to sort of add this one point about that because one of the things that I, I couldn't stop thinking about the whole time that we were talking is that he, he had these um, reading glasses on the end of his nose. And so he would, you know, look down at the papers through his greeting glasses and then do that thing, you know, where you look over your reading glasses up at someone in front of you and it gives you that sort of look. Um, and, and I guess the learning uh, experience from that was we're not the only species that can get eye strain and need reading glasses. Wow. Wow. Now, I know about two species. I know about the ones that are uh, show up in Jurassic Park movie. And then um, the ones you're talking about, though, are they bipedal? Um, to my understanding, they are, yeah. But the one you, you – the judge you saw, for instance, can you describe yeah. Oh, what? Yeah, yeah, two, yeah, two legs, two arms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And then the face looks like what? Um, well, I mean, kind of a longer neck, longer snout, rounded head. So, I mean, when people say raptors, I, I get that. I'm not sure that I would say like a velociraptor. I would almost say maybe more like a diplodocus, but that's, you know, me. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> well, maybe, I know maybe you're a, Yeah, like, like, a, like a diplodocus with a bigger head. Okay. With a bigger cranium. I know you're exact you know, and I, yeah. So, obviously, yeah. very brilliant. Very oh, brilliant. very smart. Yeah, very, very psionically developed. The conversation uh, was entirely telepathic. I mean, there was paperwork involved, but the conversation was not a verbal conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he was obviously very smart, and I was advised before I went in to uh, be very nice and very professional and very respectful and say or do nothing untoward and so forth. So I was told to be on my best behavior, which, of course, I would be, but it was it, I was, it was clear to me that I was to go in on my best behavior and not in any other way. So right. I behaved myself. And even though they're telepathic, did you happen to hear them make any natural sounds? You know, um, like did he? Not really. He, he kind of he kept um, doing this thing. Like if you've ever heard someone kind of, you know, roll their tongue in the back of their mouth and they kind of, you know, kind of like that. He kept yeah. doing something like that and making a noise like that, but I don't know if it had anything to do with speech or if it was just, you know, him flicking his tongue in his mouth for, you know, whatever reason he was doing that. It didn't It didn't mm-hmm. seem to be directed towards me, whatever was happening or whatever the noise he was making. So I didn't feel like I should take it personally or even think too much about it. But it, he seemed to make, he seemed to make this sound like he was, you know, rolling his tongue or, you know, kind of clicking or, or sucking on his tongue in the back of his mouth like someone... <clears throat> I, I mean, I don't know. I've heard human beings do something similar, so it was something like that. I didn't stop and ask him or look into his mouth, so, you know, I'm, I'm guessing because that's my ability. 
Well, no, because you were on good behavior, of course. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Uh, <laughs> that would that would have broke the be on your best behavior rule. Yeah. Exactly. So um, let's finish with this. Uh, what's the most unusual ET species you've ever met that you that you can share? But, you know. Un- unusual is a pretty interesting. I don't know when you say unusual. Of course, um, you know, that's not, true. I mean, well, that's, well the, that's a that's a tricky word. So I'm not exactly sure what, what the answer to that as far as unusual because you know well, what's how about unusual, one what's that unusual, got but. you by surprise? Like really, could be their abilities. It could be a surprise ability or a skill set or, or anything. That's a tricky one. Unusual. Okay. Um, so I did meet uh, a, a, a mineral-based species, meaning they're not carbon-based. They're, and I'm not even sure they were silicone-based. They were, they were some mineral base of um, properties that allowed the construction of what are the equivalent of organ cells, fluids that move through a body structure, but the body is a mineral structure. Mm-hmm. And um, so the females um, tend to have this ability to to grow their physical form in a way that they want to. They can kind of grow their bodies to be a shape that they want. And so um, – I remember uh, meeting this female of the species uh, in the ambassador with the, when I was hanging with the ambassadorial corps, and she was very attractive. Um, had so th- this is a mineral species that doesn't like breastfeed its young, but she had breasts, and she had this really ornate kind of thing going on the top of her head that sort of looked like coral coming out of the back of their head. And I, and wow. I, well, and I remember the, the, the senior diplomat later just saying to me, he's like, that's not natural that they look like that. She's choosing to look like that because it makes other species look at her more favorably. So she basically is choosing a more physically attractive, appealing form, mostly to other humanoids, uh, in order to sort of be a better diplomat. So she kind of changed her physical form to alter itself from what her normal sort of figure would be in order to give herself some kind of mammalian female figure and with the kind mm-hmm. of trippy coral hair thing going on because she knew that it was more uh, visually appealing to certain species and, and therefore they would find her uh, they, they would find her more tolerable to talk to if that if, if in yeah, a very that like, makes total mechanical sense. way that was that was her whole point of doing it was like choosing to appear in a certain way because it was better for her as a diplomat and, you know, got her more conversations with more people that got more productive results because she had boobs and hair. Mm-hmm. Well, Randy, but she was gorgeous, but she was absolutely gorgeous. But, yeah. but, it, but I think it was, I thought it was super interesting that none of that, none of those were like organic features that she was born with. She chose to alter the mineral structure of her body to look that figure. Which yeah. is fascinating. Yeah, she, she was, she, well, and she was, and she was absolutely gorgeous. She was absolutely gorgeous, no question. Like absolutely, mm. absolutely beautifully gorgeous. And again, wow. made out of minerals, but like, like, like a, like a sculpted marble statue. To be honest with you, I mean, she was just mm. gorgeous. Wow. 
Well, thank you so much, Randy. And um, I know we could go on forever with so many species out there, but I would like you to share with people where they can contact you for sessions and also talk a little bit about your soon-to-go-public psionic class you're offering. Yeah, my website is uh, www.covertspacecowboy.com. Facebook page is Captain Randy Kramer Facebook page. Um, Either of those places you can find links to uh, my consulting calendar, links to the psionics class, which is all about psionic self-development, self-mastery. It's a multiple-part, multiple-section course that we're still finishing the curriculum, but we've got the first eight, uh, two levels and eight lessons up at the moment. And I think from what my team member, Tim, told me yesterday, we're ready to do the, excuse me, the full uh, launch to everybody. And we've done sort of the beta class this last month and feel like we've worked enough out that we can uh, throw it forward. But I haven't checked if we've actually hit the super duper launch button as of yet, but any minute now or within the next 24, 48 hours, that should be official. So anyone who wants to get information about that, sign up, email me or whatever, that's the place to get all the links and information to me. www.covertspacecowboy.com. Great, great. Well, I'm, as you know, I'm taking it because I think it's very important uh, to develop our psionic brainwave ability so that we can advance forward since so many of the other species all use that. <laughs> Don't you think? Uh, I mean, it's, well, let me be clear. Not all of them do, but those who do have a distinct advantage. And again, if we, we ignore distinct advantages, we're being a stupid species. So just like learning to alter our own genetics, which obviously we're doing, my genetics are altered as a species because we've altered our own genetics. Um, but if we if we don't take advantage of something like psionic development as a species, we're limiting our ability, limiting our scope, and uh, handicapping ourselves in a way that is really, uh, on a species level, stupid. So if we're smart, we'll want to develop those skills. If we're dumb, then we'll do the things that will sort of prevent us from wanting to develop those skills. And and I would even go that to an individual level. Smart people will want to develop themselves. Dumb people will somehow want to convince themselves and anybody else that they don't need to develop themselves or that it's not important or that they can't. But smart people want to change and develop their psionic abilities. That's the thing. Great. Well, thank you so much again for your precious time, Randy. I always have a blast with you. And uh, Randy will return in two weeks for the last part where we're going to have a surprise involving um, what it's like to run an avatar body. So you guys all uh, might want to watch the movie Avatar to prepare for that. And we'll be adding a few other things to it. So thanks so much, Randy. I'll I'll add one better movie than that. Anyone who wants to really watch a movie about teleoperation needs to watch Surrogates with Bruce Willis. Oh, cool. Okay. I'll do that. It's a a, a much more technological conversation. Anyway, have a great one, Marilee. Thank you. Thank you, love, and everyone else, upward and onward. (laughs)